Good morning, everyone. If you would, make your way back in. Grab your seat. I want to welcome you all again this morning. As you find your seat, would you go to the Lord in prayer with me today? Father, God, we thank you that you have, in your providence, brought us here today safely, and you've given us another opportunity to worship you. God, a privilege to hear from your word, to proclaim your word. God, thank you that we have hope that you've given us. Pray that you would strengthen that hope today. May it lead to us glorifying you more, worshiping you more. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm sure you are well aware that most Americans are obsessed with comfort. There is a, a pursuit of our, um, our time, energy, money spent on a life of ease and pleasure and convenience. Most Americans, as I said, I think are obsessed with comfort. And I don't think that's the biblical way. I think that's problematic. And we have our radical, more legalistic teachers in the church that might say that God doesn't want you to be comfortable at all. He has called you to be holy and sacrificial. And indeed, there is some truth to that. But then they go further and they, they require asceticism. And they promote stoicism, which again is not biblical and therefore is problematic. So we have our prosperity preachers who would tell us that, no, God, all he wants for you is comfort. And the main problem is that people don't go to God for comfort. They try to do it without him, which, again, there's some truth to that. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, so we should go to him, right? But then they twist it further and say that if you are not having some creaturely uh, uh, physical comfort in your life, it's because you're living in sin or you don't have enough faith, which again is unbiblical and therefore problematic. So what does God's word say about comfort? What does God's word say? Would you please stand in honor of the reading of the word of God this morning? Our sermon text is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage shows us Paul's desire for the Thessalonian Christians. It's what he wants for them. He loves them and wants good for them. He wants them to be comforted. It's not only a desire, it's kind of like a benediction. It's a good word of, of well-wishing for them. And more than that, it's even a prayer. This is Paul's usual way, usual way of speaking where he's saying, I want you to know this, but I'm also asking God for it at the same time. And in this way... It's a desire and a prayer. But what is it that he wants for them? What does he desire and pray for them? Verse 17, that God would comfort your hearts. He's praying for their comfort. And when he prays for this, for them, Paul wants them to be restful and at peace and encouraged, knowing deep within, right, in your hearts, comfort your hearts, 
the center of their souls, knowing that all is well. This is spiritual comfort, which is distinct from a physical comfort or a mere comfort of circumstances. This is different from the prosperity preachers who tell us that what we should have, what God wants for us, is our circumstances always to be easy and comfortable. And that physically, that's what we should be pursuing at all costs. But Paul also is not praying for them to be simply distracted from or to ignore the painful realities of life, that we should rise stoically above them, being unfeeling and, and apathetic toward the problems of our lives or the lives of others, as though they're not important or they don't matter. That's not true. That's not healthy. That's not biblical. But rather, Paul wants for them, and he is praying for them to see all evils and all ills in this world in light of the fact that God is God, that God is sovereign, that God is good, that he is the father of his children, that Jesus Christ lived, died, and he rose again, and now he's reigning on high for the good of his people, and he will return one day. In light of all of that, take comfort. And this comfort can exist in the midst of a, a world with struggle and sorrow and pain and loss. Because it is spiritual in nature, it is not limited to, nor, it is, nor is it hindered by, our circumstances. It's spiritual comfort. This is what Paul wants for them. That's what he's praying for them. But he prays for more than that. Comf God, I, he prays that God would comfort their hearts and establish their hearts in every good work and word. Here Paul is desiring for them. He's praying for them to be strengthened for and firmly set on good works. That they would do and speak all that is good. So Paul prays for them to be comforted in hearts and established in hearts in their hearts for good. But why is he praying this for them? Why do they need comforting? Why do they need establishing? What opposition or difficulty or enemy are they facing? To put it another way, what reason do their hearts have to be unsettled and unstable such that they would need comfort and establishment? Well, the verse uh, 16, that first word now, and the first word of verse 1 of chapter 3, finally, I think shows us that that this, these two verses, 16 and 17 of chapter 2, are the, the end of this section. There's like a, it's like a bookend to all that came before it that I think began, this section began at chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately thereafter, he talks about how they're suffering persecution and affliction at the hands of evil men. And so surely they need comfort. And they need to be reminded to even to love their enemies, to do every good work and speak every good word, even in times where you are suffering. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he talks about how they're being shaken in mind and alarmed because of the deception of the false teaching, primarily about their hope of the second coming of Christ. They need comfort and they need established hearts. But they have more than that. They have what we have, various conflicts that are common to all people. James 1-2 says that there are various trials of many kinds. This past week, Pastor Nathan was teaching our older boys about uh, exposition and how in, in literary narratives there is this arc. It's not just, I went to the bank today. That's not a story. That's a statement, right? A story has this arc where there's a conflict and, the, and then it gets fixed. There's some question answered. There's some problem 
that's, that's resolved. And in every conflict, he says, you can put into one of these four main categories. Reading every, any story or even in your own life, you can fit into the, one of these main categories. There's the conflict of man with other men. Like human-to-human human conflict. Surely the Thessalonians had this because they were sinners living in a world full of sinners. So in their workplace or their community where they bought and sold things, in their local church or in their own home, in their marriages or with their children or with their parents, their siblings, their in-laws, there's conflict. Then there's the conflict not just of man with man, but of man with self. Every person knows this, but especially Christians, because we feel the conflict, the turmoil within of our sinful desires and what we know God has called us to and what we want to do, but it's, we're conflicted. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, that our flesh wages war against our soul. Our flesh and our soul are in battle. There's a conflict with self. Then there's the conflict of, of man with nature. Yes, you can think of natural disasters and, and storms and such, but, but even within our own bodies, sicknesses like cancer or heart attacks or even just growing old and death itself, this is a conflict with nature. Every one of these Thessalonian Christians battled this as well. And then there's conflict with man and society. Not just individual people, but a whole group of people and the culture at large, there's hostility toward them, they're being persecuted. Surely this was true. We feel it today in many different respects. So think about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now. The conflict is real. And for this, Paul prays comfort for them. That God would comfort their hearts and establish them. Because any one of these in, in themselves would be enough to unsettle or unstabilize a heart. Being discouraged, being disquieted or, or distracted deep within... That's the natural and normal response to this fallen and broken world. And then being unsettled in our hearts makes our commitment to and our our vigor for doing good works all the less stable. Our commitment isn't as strong. So Paul prays for them that they would be comforted in their hearts and established for good works in their hearts. So you'd say, okay, I I get it. They're in conflict. They have a, a lot going on. That's why Paul prays for them. But why does he pray this for them? Why doesn't he pray for total and complete protection that God would spare them all trouble? Or even more to the point, why doesn't God just give it to them? Why doesn't God spare his people all pain, all evil, all struggle? I think Paul knew that God was after more than merely preventing storms in the lives of his people. He wants to use those storms to do a thousand other good things. God is so sovereign and so wise and so committed to his people in love for them that he aims for far more and better and higher than merely preventing bad things from happening to them. God wants to make tragedy and pain and struggle and evil to become your servants. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verses 35 and 37, Paul raises the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, all these terrible things, can they separate us from Christ's love? He answers it in verse 37, no. In all these things that we want to be spared from, in all these things that would come against us and that we have conflict in our lives about, in all of these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. That is, that we're not merely spared the, the, the conflict and we don't even just become conquerors in the conflict. We become more than conquerors. How do you more than conquer your enemy? You don't merely defeat them. You turn them into your servants. So every evil thing, every tragic thing, every hard and painful struggle, every conflict, God says, I want to use it for your good, to be a blessing to you. This is where spiritual comfort comes from. This is what Paul wants for them. It's what he prays for them. But it's not the only thing he prays. Remember, he prays for their hearts to be comforted, but he also prays for their hearts to be established, firmly set on doing every good work and speaking every good word. So that's, the emphasis is not merely that their hearts would be comforted. He moves beyond simply wanting them to receive spiritual comfort. He prays for what that spiritual comfort is meant to produce. So this is really important. God's blessing of spiritual comfort in your life is not an end in itself. He doesn't want you to say, I want to be comfortable, the end. The goal of all comfort that God gives you is, to, is meant to lead you to reflect and to share that comfort with others so that He can be glorified all the more, not only for, for working good for you and even working good in you, but then working good through you for others. We're seeing here in this how, how these two things that he prays for, comforted hearts and established hearts for good work, how, how they fit together. There's a necessary connection that Paul sees here. And the connection is that having an established heart that is set on doing good for others, that's the result, that's the goal of having comforted hearts. Being made in God's image, we are meant to reflect his image, to tell the truth about who he is. And so because... Of that, we ought to bless others because that's what he does. We who are, have been served, we ought to serve. All those who are trusting in Christ have been created in Christ for good works, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. So if we are simply comforted by God's love while not being interested in or committed to doing good for others, then something is amiss. The goal, remember, of being spiritually comforted is that we would be set on, committed to, motivated for doing good for others. Listen to how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. This God of all comfort, He comforts us in all our afflictions so that, here's the purpose, here's the goal of comforting us, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us, He loves us, He blesses and serves us so that then we will in turn give that to others, that God will be working it not only to us, but through us for others. The comfort of God is such that the more you are hopeful in His being for you, the more you are energized in being for others. The more confident you are that God works all things for your good, 
the more established your heart will be in set, being set on doing good for others. The more sure and settled your heart is that God desires to work not only for you and in you, but through you for the good of others and the glory of his name, the more you will be committed and passionate about that good for others. So when you rest deeply in this this ever-flowing, refreshing love of God, this comfort of God in Christ, you are for them freed. You are set free and motivated and moved, invigorated to faithfully work for the good of others. And I would go even further and say that God's love for us is all the more comforting to us. It's all the more satisfying to us when we comfort others with it, when we love others with that same love. That is, our spiritual comfort isn't full until it's shared. It grows deeper. It becomes sweeter, and it's more powerful to us and for us when it flows out from us. The goal of all spiritual comfort from God is that it would echo back to Him unto His glory as we share that same love with other people in every good work and every good word. But again, this is what Paul prays for, their comfort, their comforted hearts and their established hearts for good, But neither the comfort itself nor the goal of the comfort is really Paul's main emphasis here. It's not what he emphasizes most. Remember, this is a passage of desire and of prayer. It's meant to be an encouragement and and of comfort to them. So while obedient action of love to others, doing good for others for God's glory, may be rightly inferred from this passage or even implied in this passage, there's no exhortation in this passage. This verse doesn't tell us this is what you ought to do. It's simply an encouragement for them. He's emphasizing something else. Well, what is it? Look look at verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may this God who has done this for us, may he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Why doesn't he just say, may God comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Why does he add this whole string of words together, this whole section about Jesus Christ himself and God being our Father and him loving us and giving us eternal comfort and good hope through grace? Why does he add all of that? I think it's for several purposes, but I want to name just two. That I think he was wanting to build their confidence in God that he would indeed do the thing that Paul is wanting for them and praying for them. Surely God will comfort your hearts and establish them because he's already loved you and given you eternal comfort and good hope through grace. And and, and connected to that, I think the second purpose for giving this whole other section of words before he gets to what he's actually asking for them and wanting for them, I think he's wanting to ground both their spiritual comfort and the goal of that spiritual comfort, doing good for others for God's glory. He's wanting to ground all of that in God's love in this this gracious gift of God, in this eternal comfort and good hope that's in Christ. That is, that both the comforted hearts and the established hearts for good come from, they are grounded in, they are founded upon this comforting good hope that comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son, through grace. And so because... It is the ground, this is the foundation, this is the soil in which both our spiritual comfort grows and results in the goal of good works for others. Since this is where we're at, let's focus here. Let's emphasize what Paul emphasizes. First, that phrase where he says, God loves us. 
But, well, technically he says God loved us, doesn't he? But don't hear from that, that God loved us in the past. It's something he used to do and no longer does anymore. That's really not all that comforting. That God loved us here in the past tense, he, he's speaking of that, that God settled it in the past. He proved it in the past. Perhaps he's speaking of verse 13 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians where we read last week, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you. That you are loved, we know that because God chose you. This is the electing love of God. When did this happen? In the past. Paul says in Ephesians 1.4 that before the foundation of the world, he chose you in Christ. But it could also be, maybe equally true, that this love of God has been manifested, has been proven in the past in the cross of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.8, Paul says that God demonstrates, he shows his love for us, he proves it, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This echoes our passage here. God so loved us that he gave. What did he give? In 2 Thessalonians 2.16, he gave us eternal comfort and good hope. Eternal comfort and good hope. Now the first of these phrases, eternal comfort, seems quite odd actually. Why would he pray for them in verse 17 to be, have comfort if God has already given them eternal comfort? I think the distinction is in verse 17, he's praying that God would comfort their hearts. That he would take the reality of their eternal comfort and work it deep in their hearts. That they would embrace it most fully and feel it most keenly. That is, that the eternal comfort he gives is that they have every reason Beloved, you have every reason to be restful, to have a, a, be at peace and to be in, have this encouraging sense that all is well. In every drought, in every storm, and in face of any and all opposition, no matter the threat or the danger or the pain or the struggle, even in death, nay, even through death, on into glory forevermore, you have reason to say it is well with my soul. This is eternal comfort. Connected to that, he gives, because of his love, not only eternal comfort, but good hope. Hope is this expectant longing, right? It's a yearning for something that you're confident you will receive. That's what hope is. It's both a longing and a confident longing, an expectant longing for that which is blessing from God. And that's why he, I think he calls it good. It's not just that it's morally good. Yes, there's righteous hope. We're wanting something that's good. But more to the point, this phrase is used to, to speak of the, the, the beneficial good, that which is good for us, that God says, this is a blessing to you. And I think it's a good hope because it's a solid hope. It's a secure hope. I think it's practically beneficial because, because of this eternal comfort, because of this good hope, we can live every day with a solid assurance that God, our Father, is working for us. Because of this eternal comfort and good hope, each day you can remind yourself of God's fatherly love for you and therefore have every reason to hope that his spiritual comfort will continue on and last forever. As you lie down each night, you can know that he who keeps you will neither slumber nor sleep and that as you wake the next morning, waiting for you already are new mercies. 
I mean, whenever your world seems to be shaken and turned upside down and you don't feel so stable, at that moment, you can look up to heaven with your unsettled and unstabled heart and see the risen and reigning Lord Jesus calmly sitting on his throne, upholding the universe by the word of his power, governing all things for the good of his people. No matter what you face, you can be sure that his goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And at the end of your life, at the end of your days, even as you take your final breath, you can be comforted and encouraged and truly able to rest in peace because you know for certain that when you are absent from your body, you will be present with your Lord. And thereafter, one day, when he returns, and he will indeed return, that you will obtain the fullness of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's our eternal comfort. That's our good hope. And it comes to us through grace. The God who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort and hope are given, they're gifts given by God, even though we have earned none of it. Even though we have deserved nothing good from God, no comfort do we deserve. In fact, we've only earned and deserved His wrath. But this grace comes to us because God is our Father. That God would be our Father is nothing short of amazing. He should be our judge, yes. Our executioner, yes. But our Father? Our Father who cares for us and treats us as His own children? No, not as we treat our children. Yes, we love them, but we also fail them. Because often we are sinful and selfish toward them. But not God. The way He fathers us is with a perfect patience and an unwavering commitment, and with flawless wisdom, and unending love. But how could he love us this, this way? We don't deserve it. We're unworthy. How could he do so but through grace and in Jesus Christ? Where he says that God loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope. How did he, how did he give us this eternal comfort and good hope? It's by his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. When he gave, as John 3.16 says, his son, he gave us eternal comfort and good hope. So we become the beloved sons and daughters of God with eternal comfort and good hope by faith in Jesus, the Son of God. This grace comes to us from God our Father and through Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. That is, it is because of who he is and what he has done that we have reason to be hopeful and at rest. Who is he? Well, it says that he is the Christ. That's the Messiah, the promised and anointed king and suffering servant of God's people. He is Jesus. That is, he is the Savior, the God-man who is the Savior of God's people, and he is Lord, the risen and reigning one over God's people for their good. And because of who he is and what he has done, by God's grace through faith in him alone, we are guaranteed for all eternity that we have every reason to be comforted and every reason to be hopeful for God's divine goodness. So when you find yourself battling various conflicts, whether they be with man or with self, or with nature or with society, when you find yourself tangled up in sin again, when you find yourself weighed down by shame or by doubts, when you find your passion for Christ dwindling from a roaring fire to barely a flicker, then, maybe more than ever, by faith, 
rest fully upon the eternal comfort of God in Christ that's through grace. It's through grace. It is trusting in, it is hoping in this grace that is in Christ that brings us comfort in our hearts and that establishes our hearts to do good for others. A rich understanding and a real confidence in God's love for us in Christ changes everything. It affects our entire lives. And so, read about the love of God the Father in Christ the Son. Read about this love that gives you spiritual comfort in all your afflictions, in all your trials, and in all your conflicts. Settle your disquieted soul by listening to the preaching of, and the teaching about, and the counsel from other believers about this good hope that you've been given. And pray for and preach to your own heart about God's gracious gift in Christ so as to be established, firmly set on, and committed to, and motivated for doing every good work and speaking every good word for the glory of His name. And pray not only for yourself, but pray this as Paul does for others. Pray for your fellow brothers and sisters that God would comfort their hearts, that He would establish their hearts for good. And pray for your piney family. Pray for those in your discipleship group. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ here and around the world. And if I may, as you go home today, or as you go out to lunch today, would you pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine? Pray that God would comfort them. Pray this, that our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, pray that God would comfort their hearts and establish them in every good work and every good word. You know, as much of a conflict as it is to be persecuted or to be struggling with sin, the conflict we have in our own home and how painful that can be, or being in a, a literal war zone, the greatest comfort that we need, the greatest conflict that we have and where comfort is most needed is not in our conflict between man and man or conflict with nature or with self or with society, but it's in our conflict with God himself. You see, we are born having sinful hearts, and that automatically puts us in conflict with a holy God. What do we do? There's no there, there comforting words that anyone can give you. Your only hope, your only comfort in this conflict is to be rescued out of it. And the only one who can rescue out of it is God himself. And the good news is that God so loved this world that he gave his son to rescue sinners out of this conflict. And if you are free from every other conflict in every other area of life, but you still are in hostility, enmity, and conflict with God, even though if you don't feel it, you have no hope and no reason to be comforted at all. But if by God's grace, through faith in Christ, his son, you have peace with God, then though every other relationship and every other area in this world and in your life, you have conflict galore, you can have spiritual comfort deep in your hearts. Because you have eternal comfort and good hope. And you can confidently say, it is well with my soul. Because it's well with me and God. 
God is your Father, that He loves you, that He's given His Son for you to give you eternal comfort and good hope through grace. So this morning, as we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, this communion meal together, if you are here this morning and you're not yet trusting in Jesus, if you don't see Him as your only reason for having hope, the only reason why you have no more conflict with God, if you don't yet embrace Him by faith, then don't come up when others do. Stay where you are, please. Bow your head. Close your eyes. And ask God to help you to understand more of what this means, of this bad news, of your conflict with God, so that you may embrace the good news with faith in Christ. And come and talk to me afterwards, or one of the other pastors, or put on a connection card. I don't care if you've been here for years or if this is your first time this morning. We would love to talk with you. And this morning, if you are hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you know that because God gave him, you have eternal comfort and every reason to wake up every morning and go to bed every night with hope, with a solid and sure, a good hope. And you've had that faith in Christ affirmed by other Christians by you being baptized in the church. In just a moment, you can exit to your left and come up to the front to one of these tables. And you can take these communion elements, the gluten-free being to your far left, these, these elements that represent the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that he gave up, that he was given for you, that you may no longer be in conflict with God, but have comfort and peace and hope. And go back to your seat to the right. Take them by yourself with your family or with your friends. Just rest in it. Rest in him that in Christ you have all the comfort and all the hope you will ever need. When you are ready, for those who should come, please do.